Hello, everybody. This is Scott Yates, Director of Communications and Producer Relations with the Washington Grain Commission, here with Episode 206 of Weed All About It, entitled, Let's See What We Can Do About That, or How Gary Roseman Learned to Walk Again. Before I get to this week's episode, a note to all my faithful podcast listeners. At the end of December, after four years of weekly podcast episodes, Weed All About It will cease to post new programs. This podcast has been a labor of love, with an emphasis on both words. I'm so grateful to the WGC and my boss, Glenn Squires, for giving me the go-ahead to begin this podcast four years ago. But as a one-man show, it hasn't been easy making self-imposed weekly deadlines in addition to my other responsibilities at the Commission. For the foreseeable future, the 210 episodes I have produced by the end of the year will continue to be housed on the WGC website at wagrains.org. I hope for those of you who believe they have value that you will remind your friends and landlords, fellow researchers and agribusiness contacts, among others, of their presence there. Like a well-cared-for tractor, past podcasts retain their value for the hours of knowledge they impart. But we're not done yet, are we? There are five new podcasts to post before the end of the year, beginning with this one about my friend Gary Roseman, a farmer six miles north of Davenport, Washington, and a man whose life's journey has served as a touchstone for me and others. Gary is one of the happiest people I know, which is ironic because 31 years ago, when he was 36, a grain auger he was moving during harvest fell and crushed his back. He was told he'd never walk again. The fact that he does walk is, I think, as much a tribute to his psychological strength as the hours of punishing exercises he put in. Gary and I have known of each other for at least two decades, but it's only in the last ten years that we've become close. During the Great Recession, my eldest daughter, Emily, asked me if I knew anybody who I could connect with her then-fiancé, now-husband, Colin. In other words, she wanted me to network. The pair met in Gonzaga's law school and in 2010 both graduated into the Great Recession. My daughter was lucky to be employed when so many others were un- or underemployed. She received an endowment to work in Portland, wait for it, Maine. Colin was getting by doing contract work in Spokane and they were both looking forward to the time they'd be together again. I've had a few close farmer friends during my years in agriculture, but the fact I live in Spokane and most of them live 60 or more miles away makes connecting a challenging proposition. As a result, a majority of my farmer relationships are a mile wide and an inch deep. So when my daughter asked me to network for Colin, I was stumped. Networking presupposes some commonalities, and while both farmers and lawyers are essential to the modern world, they don't necessarily rub elbows. But Emily was insistent, and when I went over my list of contacts, Gary was the obvious choice. It's not just because Gary, with braces on his legs and no feeling in his feet, is the most optimistic guy I know. 
nor is it the fact that post-accident he has become a successful businessman who attracts friends the way a magnet attracts metal shavings. No, I took Colin out to meet Gary for the same reason I'm doing this podcast, because he's the kind of guy you want to know not just for his connections, but for his counsel. I'm a grandfather a couple of times over now. Thanks, Em and Colin. And I marvel at how fearless young children are. Everyone is their friend. They don't avert their gaze or hide their happiness. They're not maneuvering for an advantage or assessing potential threats. Ready or not, here I am, they seem to say. Gary is like a child that way, and it's disarming. I've met a few other people like him, and most have gone through their own trauma and come out on the other side. Perhaps it's because they realize how lucky they are to be alive. Perhaps it's because they have visited a place from which most never return. Or, perhaps, in order to recover, they recognize that turbocharging their optimism is a key ingredient to their rehabilitation. Whatever the reason, in almost every conversation I have with Gary, he helps me feel the joy in life. In the years since the accident, Gary has continued to farm his 1,600-acre spread of wheat, barley, and timber, in addition to other business ventures. In the process, he has found a peace that eludes most of us, a calm that comes from knowing what's important. And in his case, it's not more land, more bushels per acre, or more shiny pieces of equipment, things he aspired to before the accident. Instead, it's people. Or as he likes to say, you can tell the character of the man by the quality of the company he keeps. Gary was one man when he woke up the morning of August 19, 1989. By the end of that day, however, he was on the path to being another sort of man. But before we begin our discussion of that fateful day and the changes it wrought, I ask him to describe his farming operation and family. My farming operation, farmer outside north of Davenport, about six miles. No, it's a, it's a fairly small farm. I have about 1,600 acres of wheat, barley, and timber. Uh, wheat is about half no-till and half conventional farming. Okay, okay. And tell me about your family. Well, my family, I'm married to my wife for 42 years. I have two sons. My one lives in Cape Cod, and, and he's a physical therapist. And my other son works in a medical lab here in Spokane. Neither of them have really had a desire to come back to farm. Tell me about your non-farming businesses. Life's an adventure, Scott. I was, I did, I have a, I have one business going right now besides farming, and it's a ramp company, and I rent ramps to the modular classroom industry. So a school that doesn't want to buy their ramp, I usually rent that to them, and that's been a really good little side side adventure. I built a car wash, owned a car wash for a number of years, and and I I no longer trusted myself on the ladder, so I sold that, and that was another good investment, and. And I've always owned commercial real estate, and that's really been my the main thing of life that paid the bills is my commercial real estate. That being said, I've been I've been busy in life besides farming. Yes, yes, indeed. Of course, I've only known you after the accident. Who was Gary Roseman before the farm accident? I was this farmer who was thirty six years old. And I was wanting to farm the next thousand acres. I felt that if I had enough farmland, that might be the ticket to happiness. I could then afford a bigger combine, a newer tractor, whatever. 
So the Gary Roseman before the accident was much more driven towards the, let's call it the bottom line. Did I raise more bushels? Did I have more acres? I call him a bottom line person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go back to August, 1989. Tell me about the day, what happened and how the accident changed your life and your body. August 19th, 1989. Glorious, wonderful, warm day to be harvesting. I was moving a grain auger from one tank to the other. And I was moving it, and as we were not paying attention, one of the wheels fell into a deep crevice. And I was sitting on a tractor waiting to hook the PTO shaft up. The auger fell on me, and it crushed me. Plain and simple, it's called a, a blunt force trauma. It did a lot of damage, broke a lot of things inside of me. The main thing it did is it paralyzed me. I'm considered an L3, L4 para. So the, the biggest effect of that day was I ended up in a wheelchair. with with, And they didn't think I'd ever walk again. Now, it's hard to imagine that something good can come out of an accident, Gary. But you argue that good did result. Explain that to me. Early on, Scott, I said that I was this farmer before the accident that wanted to farm the next thousand acres. After the accident, and I realized what really mattered, I wanted experiences. I wanted to take my family and experience things rather than just drive to make more money. Now, along that line, I've had a lot of success. I've always said the accident made me wealthy, and that was an accident. But more important, the change in me was I found out who my friends were. I became wealthy both physically and emotionally. And I did not need the next thousand acres to be happy. I needed, I needed these friends and the experience and life is much rosier and happier. And I choose happiness every day. You choose happiness. How does one choose happiness? Look, look around you, Scott. There's a lot of people not capable of that. We, every day is a new slate. And, and I realized early on in my journey of recovery and I had to choose happiness or that thing, depression can take you down. And I watch a lot of people, and I don't know if they can or cannot fix it, but I was lucky enough to be able to choose happiness instead of sitting on the couch and watching TV, instead of getting out and doing things. But happiness, I believe, is a choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Gary, if you found a magic lamp and a genie emerged and gave you a wish, would you wish to go back to the person you were before the accident? <laughs> Physically, yes. Mentally, no. I'm happier. I'm happier after the accident. Let me, let me explain that a little bit. Physically, I walked out to my hot tub last night, and there's some snow on the deck, and I wonder what that snow feels like under my feet. I I, I can't feel my feet, so it's it's a challenge that way that you don't. I don't get to feel what other people feel. So I wish I had that back. I wish I could snow ski, downhill ski, and maybe even run a little bit. But I wouldn't trade that for who I've become after the accident. I like, I like who I look. I had to learn to like myself sitting in a wheelchair. That was one of my biggest challenges. 
And so with that, I like who I am. When I look in the mirror, I kind of like who I am. So many people don't have that gift. And that's what I mean by happiness is a choice. You can make a choice to say, woe is me, or you can make a choice to say, this is pretty good. This is who I am, and I'm going to go forth with it. Now, Gary, you spent almost two years in a wheelchair. Um, how did you get up? I mean, I see you walking around today. Um, during that time, you were in a wheelchair. Did you ever think you'd walk again? And how did you learn to walk again? Scott, I'm not sure I always thought I'd walk again, especially when I left the hospital and my therapist said, go home and learn to live in a wheelchair. And so did a physician. Those are their advices for me. I got to follow that with a story. My first therapist sent me home, learned to live in a wheelchair. My second therapist, Vicki, who I worked with for the next year and a half, she became a very good friend, but she, she asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to walk. And she said, let's see what we can do about that. Instead of saying, no, go home and learn to live in a wheelchair. And I look at how that simple sentence has changed my life. She was willing to try anything to help me walk again. And that's kind of why I'm walking. Plus the fact I'm very driven. And I was willing to do exercises today for what not might not pay off for a year or two. Kind of like going to college. You study today for that degree that pays off somewhere in the future. Did I think I'd walk again? No. But in the back of my mind, I knew that if I didn't work my hardest, I would be guaranteed not to walk again. I didn't know it, but I worked for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the hardest part of getting back into life after the accident? There were, there were two hard parts. First of all, I had a little issue with my family. We had a lawsuit and everything else following the accident. And so that was hard. I got. I can't deny it. that was hard. It, it involved financial stress as well as emotional stress. Out of that was that was a gift to me because I couldn't lay and wonder what was going to happen. I had to get up and work on this Lego challenge, and that was a gift to me because I didn't lay there. I got up and I was busy, and I would get so mad that I would exercise when I might have just sat there and felt sorry for myself. It was part of my recovery. I didn't see it at the time, but I look back now and realize that was part of my recovery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned depression just a moment ago. Do you get depressed? I, I was never depressed, like clinically depressed, but I felt sad about things. And in fact, I will still feel sad when I have to wait for my hired man to come help me unhook from the tractor or hook up to a new piece of equipment I wish that I could hop out like I used to. Does it is it depression like I'm feeling bad? No, but I wish I had some of the things that I gave up. But those are those are not overriding. I realize that I raised a family and we've had I've become wealthy emotionally and physically. I have to I have to temper that little bit of depression with life's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is your life different today because of the accident? Well, like like I talked a minute ago, I had to have a hired man. I couldn't change my own tractor battery. I just can't lift it up there and put it in. So I've always had a young person around, and that has been wonderful. I've got to meet probably 20 young employees, and I hope I've made a difference in their life, and they've made a difference in my life. So I've always had to have someone helping me, and we not only <laughs> farmed, we repaired the car wash, 
we built houses, we built lake places, we, we built an industrial parks. So, so how it's changed my life is different for, than for other people, but I wish I could water ski, snow ski, and I kind of wish I could feel my feet sometime. Those are the things I miss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you would say your life is better today because of the accident? Oh, yes. Life is better. I'm happier. I did things I probably never would. I had the chance to do things I never would have done had the accident not occurred. And, and, I, and I have stories. And stories are like wine. They get better with time. <laughs> and so, yeah, life is better after the accident. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Given that you're talking on a podcast right now, this is a bit of a strange question. Do you make a point of telling people about your transformation or do you prefer to keep the changes to yourself? I don't share. I don't share all the really, really hard stories. I mean, there are some really hard stories. So, I keep those to myself. I will share those stories that teach a little lesson and bring a smile to your face. What I found is I will be called by some family and they think that I overcame these odds and surely I can help their son, their daughter, their spouse. So if I do anything, I watch who I'm sharing my stories with to not give them, uh, I don't know, false hope, but to not, Tell them that you too can walk when they say you're not going to. It just doesn't work that way. So I've become a little gun shy. But I still like sharing my stories. You know, it's a great story. It is a great story. So, Gary, are you religious? And if you are, how do you explain how a loving God allowed something like this to happen to you? That's a, that's been a challenge for me. Scott, God, no one held a gun to my head and told me I had to go out and farm that day. I made a choice. Life, and, and it's a risk. Everybody faces risk. All of us have a risk. Driving down the freeway, heck, running in the street. Divorce is a, is a risk of marriage. Bankruptcy is a risk of a charge card. God gave me a choice. And I made a choice to go farm that day, and the accident happened. But out of that, he also, I believe, gave me a lot of providence. He gave people in my life that changed who I am. Had they not come into my life, I wouldn't have had the additional surgery. So, so his real gift, his real challenge to me was, are you capable of welcoming, of seeing what's out there and accepting it? I'm hoping that even if I never walked again, he would have found the way to give me something to make me happy. So my religion changed fundamentally from praying to, for the A grade to just saying, wow, God, thank you for this person that made my life wealthy, happy today. Mm-hmm. Now, would you have gotten into these other businesses that you're involved with if you had not had the accident? Was that part of your life before that morning on uh, in August 1989? A little bit. I own the I own this ramp company because I would see people needing ramps, and that was a service that was needed. I kind of gotten out of working for the residential, and I just do the commercial right now, but. Some of this 
is a direct result of the accident where I had time when I wasn't looking to farm the next thousand acres, I had time to look at business ventures that made a lot more money. And they gave me an experience that I didn't get when I was out farming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you have any notion of how the accident brought these changes in your life? Yes. Well, part of it is friends. And these friends encourage you to do things that you, that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do before. So why am, why is it different? Yes, I had a, I had a brother who, who stuck with me through thick and thin and he said, Gary, let's do something. Even if you can't farm, we're going to do something. And so that got us into some of the stuff that I'm into. But there was also this part of me that when I didn't have to concentrate on I'm thinking about farming all the time. I was able to think about, well, maybe we should build a car wash. Maybe we should, you know, buy this other piece of commercial real estate. Did the accident cause that? I don't know, but it allowed me the opportunity to go out and investigate when I wouldn't have done that before. I would have spent my time looking at a new combine or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you live with any regrets today? Well, yeah, <laughs> yes. The challenge, and we talked about this earlier in the podcast, the challenge is, is weighing the good against the, the bad. Do I regret the accident? I regret it at the level of physically. I'd like to feel my feet again. You know, I'd like to do what other people do. But it's not a regret that overrides me. I look at the positive. I'm sitting here telling you a story I have some better business stuff I have to do this afternoon. I have regrets, but they're overweighed by the positives in my life. And I think that's a challenge to all of us is how do we how do we find these balances? Gary, I just want to go back to the fact that, you know, the doctor said that you weren't going to walk again and you have walked again. How did you actually manage that? I mean, were there additional operations? I mean, I know you have braces on your legs. How do you motivate yourself forward? This requires a story, Scott. A friend of mine had been to see a, special, a back specialist down at Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado. And the only way to see this doctor was to be referred by a patient. He didn't take other referrals. He was really busy. I got a chance to go see this doctor. And he did some tests that they weren't capable of doing in Spokane. And he determined that some of the hardware in one of my initial operations had been installed wrong. And he took it out. And it took the pressure away, away from my spinal cord. And that's when I started to have recovery. Now, I just think had I never met my friend Bob Piper, who had been to Denver to see this Dr. Edgars, I might still be in a wheelchair. That's what they say. I found a friend that gave me gave me the gift of seeing this other doctor who changed my life because he took this hardware out and I started to have recovery. Is there a lesson your fellow farmers can take away from your accident and your life that has evolved since then? <laughs> Challenging question. I'm not sure it's my job to give fellow farmers, but Scott, we'll, we will talk. I wish I could talk more to these farmers about 
I call it the things that matter. How are your kids doing? How are you feeling? Not whether or not we got 100 or 90 bushels to the acre and what the price of wheat was. It kind of matters. But in the grand scope of things, it, it, it doesn't. And I'm going to use a little story. I remember the first six steps that I took. I can remember them clearly. I remember the floor. I remember who was in front of me, behind me. And I remember those till the day I die, but I cannot remember the price of wheat or the yield, something that seemed so important moments before the accident. If I have anything to all my fellow farmers, look at, look at the experience and the joy that we have, not the stress and the sorrow because the price of wheat isn't where we want it to be. And I hope, I hope that makes sense to, to people listening. Okay. Now, Gary, you don't have to farm anymore. Why is it so important that you continue? But believe it or not, you can, I can sit on my, and I have a special machine downstairs to exercise on, but the real exercise comes from me going outside in a little bit and getting, climbing in the tractor, hooking up to this stubble chopper and going out and doing some work and getting off and putting fuel in it and everything else. That is a different kind of exercise than sitting on an exercise bike doing that same thing. I do it because it keeps me involved and keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so I, I want to go back, um, Gary, and just ask you about the day of the accident because it does seem like Ultimately, these accidents happen because we are not paying attention at a specific moment in time. Tell me about that specific moment in time and perhaps how you would talk to farmers about not having that moment happen to them. I don't even know what happened, to be honest. I know it. I wasn't aware it fell over. I wasn't aware for 21 days what happened. So, what I tell people is, we, we all take risk, and we, a lot of times we miss. We all know that moment that we're just so lucky that that didn't land on us, that didn't hurt us. This time it didn't. It hurt me. And we hear about these accidents, but I could fall off the tractor trying to put the diesel holes in it because I slipped on some ice. How do you avoid them? You avoid them by being careful, but you'll never get rid of every risk in life. I don't. There's no good answer to what I would do different or how I would change it. Life is full of tragedy. Every one of our lives has tragedy in it from the divorce to the bankruptcy to the car wreck. And it's, it's your reaction after that that counts. Yes, yes. Well, your reaction afterwards has certainly been one of the finest that I have ever heard about, Gary. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> I'm going to stress something else. I, I walk not to prove the doctor and the therapist wrong. I did it for myself. And I don't think a lot of people realize this. A lot of this stuff, deep inside, you have to do it for yourself. You can't do it to prove somebody else wrong. That won't carry you through the tough times. And once again, that isn't just a, a, an accident like mine. It's that divorce. It's, it's all these tragedies in life, and every one of us has them. You've got to do it. You've got to do that fixing for yourself. Were you a philosopher before your accident? No. No, no. I reacted. You lay in bed for 90 days in the hospital. And if you don't 
look at your life. I, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine not looking at your life. I, I journaled what I was thinking and stuff. And I, and I look back at those journals 31 years later and I'm going, wow, I needed this. We can't all be so lucky to have an individual like Gary in our lives reminding us that making lemonade out of lemons isn't so much a skill as it is a mindset. I'm glad you all got to hear Gary's story, and I hope that in your own woe-is-me moments, don't we all have them, that you too recognize it's what you do after the calamity that matters. Although Gary has found new meaning in his life as a result of his farm accident, he may be among a minority of people who could accomplish such a passage. For the rest of us, I advise paying attention. Always. Thanks for listening to episode 206, or what I entitled, Let's See What We Can Do About That, or How Gary Roseman Learned to Walk Again. Please join me here again next week for another episode of Weed All About It. We're all children of a special treat, a miracle of nature that we just call wheat. A crop that's in the Bible, a crop that's in our bread, a crop that's filled our bellies and held us in good stead. Through a history of starvation and times of want and woe, wheat has been our savior, our grub, our gruel, our dough. There's always lots of problems when we have enough to eat, but there's only one dilemma when there's not enough wheat. We feed you.